All right, so we're starting a new series today called Philippians, and it is simply named after a book of the Bible, which was a letter written by a man named Paul to a church in a city called Philippi. And um, typically what we do, or what I like to do is, uh, when it comes to series on Sunday mornings, is I like to find a topic, maybe a felt need, or something that I believe that uh, God would lead us to find something that would help us journey through life together and kind of camp out on a topic for four to eight weeks and walk through some scriptures that would help teach us about that topic. But from time to time, I just like to just find a smaller passage of scripture and just kind of camp out there for a couple of weeks. And uh, the book of Philippians is an incredible book of the Bible that has incredible potential to help us as we follow Jesus or learn more about Jesus. And uh, so I thought it would be great for us to spend four weeks um, walking through these four chapters in this letter. Uh, What I want to ask us to do as a church is to spend these four weeks just kind of meditating on the book of Philippians. It's four chapters. Um, If you're an average reader, it'll take you 15 minutes or less to read it. Um, And so I'm challenging us, myself included, to read this entire book of the Bible every day. Um, At least once a week, I'd encourage you to read it, but it's got incredible, incredible insight. Um, So let me start with some history about the book of Philippians as we know it today before we jump into the words that Paul writes. Um, This is a letter written by a man named Paul. Uh, We've talked about Paul a lot, but I don't want to assume that you know who he was. Um, Essentially, Paul was one of the greatest opponents of the early church. In fact, he persecuted Christians Um, One of his main goals in life was to stop the spread of Christianity, and he had a radical transformation where he met God, and Jesus changed his life, and his name was changed actually from Saul to Paul, and he became one of the biggest advocates for the gospel of Jesus. He went on missionary journeys, three in fact, where he would travel the world as they knew it, and he would meet people and go where God led him, and he would share the hope of the gospel of Jesus. On these missionary journeys, he would start churches from time to time. On his second missionary journey, uh, it's believed between 49 and 51 AD, he went to the city of Philippi. Um, You can read in Acts chapter 16 about part of his experience in Philippi, because there uh, he was imprisoned. And if you'll remember the story in Acts chapter 16, an incredible, incredible passage. I encourage you to go read it. Um, But he was imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. Uh, They were trying to stop him from spreading the good news of Jesus. And while he was imprisoned, he began to worship Paul and Silas at the midnight hour. And the jail cells were broken and the the earth began to shake and God freed him from this prison. Uh, In that experience, one of the guards became a believer, he and his family. There was also there in the early church a lady named Lydia who became a convert. And that was the beginning of the church in Philippi. And so some 10 years later now, Paul is in Rome for the sake of the gospel, and again, he's imprisoned. And while he's imprisoned, he is now writing a letter back to the church in Philippi because he's gotten word of a few issues that are going on by a man named Epaphroditus. And so that's the context of this book. The theme of this letter unequivocally is a theme of joy. 16 times throughout this four-chapter book or letter, uh, Paul uses the word joy or rejoice. Now, that's in light of his circumstances, a pretty amazing thing for him to be saying to this church. And so we're going to talk over the next four weeks about the implications that it has for us 
And uh, it's just going to be a, a fun, fun ride. So let me just start at the very beginning in Philippians chapter number one, verse number one. Uh, he starts by saying, Paul and Timothy, so he recognizes Timothy with him, though he is believed to have penned it alone. Servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So he's basically saying, what's up Philippians? It's Paul. He's going to progress from there to... Um, say some pretty profound things that hopefully will be helpful to you and I still today. Let's look at verse number three. He starts by saying, I thank my God every time I remember you. Now, this is significant to me because of the context of his circumstances. Okay. Now, if you'll remember, it was at Philippi where uh, the believers prayed and God shook the prison and he escaped. We just talked about that story. If I'm writing a letter to the Philippians while I'm in prison, I'm saying, hey guys, remember me? Remember what happened? Like, let's make that happen again. I need like all the prayer warriors come on over to Rome and like maybe you can gather around the prison and pray and the Lord will shake the walls and I'll come out again. It'll be awesome. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't take an opportunity to present requests for himself to this church he begins by saying, in the middle of this Roman prison, which, by the way, I don't know how familiar you are with prisons here in America, but this was far worse. Uh, typically, Roman prisons were like dungeons. They were underground, so there was very little, if any, light in these prisons. Um, they were so concerned about the prisoners that they would actually chain prison guards to the prisoners. So Paul, likely, as he's writing this, has a prison guard chained to him to make sure that he isn't a harm uh, to the other prisoners. Um, you can imagine the dread of his circumstances. You can imagine the severity of the suffering that he must be feeling. Feeling as though he were led to Rome by God, by his spirit, for the purposes of the gospel, and in doing so, he becomes imprisoned. So it, it was the gospel that got him in prison because he was fighting for the gospel, and now he feels as though his mission is being stopped. He feels as though he can't do what God's called him to do, despite being chained to someone in a dark dungeon with probably terrible food, I can imagine, if any. Not great circumstances. And he starts this letter by saying, I thank my God every time I remember you. I wouldn't write that. I would probably say something about how bad my situation is. I would probably say something to try to get these Philippians to feel bad for me uh, enough to engage them in some type of action to help me. But in the midst of his own prison, he's thinking of others. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Now, this blows my mind, how a man in need of prayer and deliverance himself, first of all, is praying for others, but secondly, is doing it with joy. To have joy in the midst of a prison in that situation blows my mind, yet he somehow finds a way through joy to write and encourage them. And he says, I always pray for you with joy because of your partnership with the gospel from the first day until now. 
being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart for whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Incredible, incredible stance for a man in personal prison to be able to be mindful of others and offer prayers and encouragement to them who are going through some things in their own church to tell them that we have a partnership and I remember what we had together and you're so special to me and I pray for you with joy because of the way I remember you. We have this tendency in our hearts a lot of times, at least I'll speak for myself, to become consumed with where we are in life and what's going on around us and how difficult life may seem and how low we may feel at times. And it's hard to comprehend fully the situation that Paul's in. But see, Paul was a man who was accustomed to suffering. This was a man who went through a lot for the sake of the gospel. And anyone that has a theology that following Jesus causes you to have this healthy, wealthy, perfect life um, didn't really know Paul very well, and he didn't really fit into their theology because this was a man that went through a lot. In fact, I want to read from you for you Second uh, Corinthians um, chapter number 11, uh, where Paul talks about his sufferings, and, and this is what he says. It's not going to be on the screen. Uh, he says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 49 lashes minus one, which would be the 39 lashes that Jesus endured once. He endured five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. So they would take these flexible skinny rods and beat the backs of their legs as a form of punishment. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Can you imagine, for the sake of the gospel, spending a night and a day just bobbing around in an open sea, just trying to find a way to make your way to some island. Hopeless, hopeless situation. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I mean, this is the guy that's been through a lot. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. If all that wasn't enough, I'm a pastor. And he says, I've been through a lot. I've suffered more than any of you. And in the midst of his journey, he finds himself in this prison in Rome and has such concern for this church in Philippi that out of the joy in his heart, he encourages them. This gives me kind of a, a longing for what Paul had. See, I believe that Paul wanted us to experience the joy that he had. I think that he wanted us to know that the reason that he could have this type of attitude in the midst of the circumstances he was in was because of the joy that he found in Christ. Verse number 8, he goes on and says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. Listen to the prayer that he prays for the church at Philippi, which I think applies to us 
here today. He, he basically says, I have this joy, and I want you to have this joy that I have. And listen to what he says. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight. There's some things you got to learn if you're going to have the joy that I've got. And there's some experiences that you're going to go through, which are probably going to involve some type of suffering if you're going to truly experience the joy that I have. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. This theme of joy throughout this letter is, is important for us to grasp. It's something that that's extremely important that he wants to leave with us, that he possessed a joy in Christ that he longed for the church in Philippi to possess, a joy that would allow them to discern and figure out what's best in certain situations that may seem hopeless, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul's joy is sometimes difficult for us to comprehend because we confuse joy with happiness. And joy and happiness, joy and happiness are, they're brothers, they're cousins, they're part of the same family. In fact, if you look in some dictionaries under the definition of joy, you're going to see the word happy or happiness. And if you look at the word happy or happiness, you're going to see the word joy in the definition because they're related, but they're vastly different. And it's important for us to grasp the difference between happiness and joy because one is fulfilling and the other isn't. Let me share with you a few thoughts on the difference between happiness and joy. First of all, happiness is external. Happiness is external where joy is internal. So the things that happen around you, outside of your life, in your world, can dictate your happiness, right? You can have certain experiences or certain things take place in your life and you can become extremely happy or certain things cannot take place and you cannot be happy. But joy is internal and it is not subject to what's going on in you, uh, around your life. And that's important to note because we get hung up on happiness, which is dictated by our circumstances and it's important for us to learn like Paul to reflect on joy. See, happiness is based on circumstance where true joy is based in Christ. So you can go through the worst of circumstances and still have joy in Christ. Or you can go through the best of circumstances and be happy and completely lack joy. Happiness and joy, they're, they're related, but they're vastly different, and we've got to grasp the difference. Happiness is temporary. Joy is constant. You can be happy today, and you can be miserable tomorrow if your life is solely based on the circumstances that you're living in. And the happiest of people in our world today can lose relationships, can lose possessions, can lose certain things in this life and become the most miserable of people. But you take someone that's got joy, and it doesn't matter what happens in their life, they're always going to have joy. Happiness happens by chance. 
You can't always make yourself happy because there are circumstances that have to take place in order for you to be happy in some areas. And we fight for happiness and we long for happiness and we try to create happiness, but if we're honest with ourselves, there, there's a little bit of chance in there that if we're dealt a good hand, we're happy. And when things outside of our control cause us to go into bad circumstances, we lose that happiness. But joy happens by choice. So you can choose to have joy in the midst of any circumstance. And it doesn't depend on any type of chance. It doesn't require any certain specific things to happen. It's a choice. It's a mindset. It's, it's an approach to life that says, I have joy in the Lord. Happiness happens to you. And joy happens through you. See, happiness is, is something on the outside that happens to you. And you're happy. Happiness is fun. I love being happy. No one wants to be unhappy. But joy happens through you. And it's God doing in you and through you something that people don't understand, including yourselves, including ourselves sometimes. There's this song that I learned as a kid. If you grew up in or around the church, you probably learned it as well. And haven't really thought about this song for most of my life, but I thought about it this week in preparation. And if you know the song, I'm not going to sing it, so don't worry about that. Some of you are holding your breath like, how bad is this going to be? But let me just share with you the words, and, and you can help me if you know it. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? <laughs> now let me, confession time here. Confession time here. As a kid, I was frustrated by this song, okay? I was frustrated by the question in this song that keeps being posed because it says, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And then, like, the teacher would say, where? And I would say, down in my heart. And she'd go, where? And I'm like, down in my heart. I've already told you, like, <laughs> is it hiding? Is it not there? I thought that's where it was. Where? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart to stay, be reminded of that today, that your joy is not outside. It's down in your heart, and it's there to stay as long as you choose to embrace that joy. Joy isn't on the outside. It's on the inside. I heard a quote from a pastor named Stephen Furtick. He pastors a church, a large church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he, he made this statement several years ago, and it's stuck with me ever since. He said, my joy is not determined by what happens to me but by what God is doing in me and through me. My joy is not determined by what happens to me, but what God is doing in me and through me. And here's the truth for you. In the midst of any suffering that you may face, that you will face, can I just remind us of this too? The reality is, is you will suffer in this world. You will. You'll suffer in this world. Something bad is going to happen in your life. And you say, you know, Bronson, you could be a little more positive. And I'm telling you, I'm positive. Something bad is going to happen to you in this life. It's inevitable. We live in a fallen world. This is not a perfect world. And bad things happen to good people. And I don't care how good we are, bad things are going to happen. And when bad things happen to us, God can be doing something in us and through us that we can leave that circumstance or situation or season having been better for it. And um, I, I just... I just want us to wrap our minds around 
joy and detach it from this concept of happiness that we're sometimes unwilling to let go. Joy is something that happens in us and through us. And so Paul had this attitude that he was going to have joy no matter what, a no matter what joy. And he wanted the church at Philippi to have that joy as well. And so he, he gives some instructions on how we can achieve or how we can find this joy and how we can hold on to this joy that I want to leave with us in kind of three thoughts as we read through this. And I think the first thing that, that Paul would say to us if we want to truly experience the joy of Christ in our lives, no matter what circumstances we go through, is, is he would say, you've got to stop asking why. You've got to stop asking why. And it's, an, it's an unending question. Like, you'll never get a complete answer to the question why until you get to heaven. And then, and then I've got a laundry list of things that I want to ask God about, a lot of things that I don't know about or why they happened and I want to ask God about. But you've got to make a choice to stop asking why. When bad things happen and you're like, you know, why is this happening to me? You know, you know, why didn't this happen to someone else? I didn't deserve this. Maybe they did. And when we spend our energy and our effort trying to understand why certain things happen, then we're not able to allow God to do something in us or through us in that situation. Listen to what Paul says in verse number 12. He says, as a result, excuse me, he says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Notice he doesn't reach for answers as to why he's in the predicament he's in. You know, I mean, I mean, like, come on, I'm, I'm on mission to tell people about the gospel of Jesus. I'm serving Christ, and he allowed me to be captured in this prison. Uh, the thing that I think I should be doing, I'm not able to do because I'm confined in my circumstances in this moment. Why is this happening? He doesn't, he doesn't go there, but he, he recognizes that what happened to him has really served to advance the gospel. He saw beyond the why, he saw beyond the why to be able to allow God to do something through him in the midst of these circumstances. And I just want to say, for those of you going through difficult situations or you're in a difficult season, or for those of you who will soon or later, learn to get beyond the why because the why will never fulfill you. You'll never comprehend or understand the why. But wrap your mind instead around the purpose and your purpose in that situation because you and the situation are the only constants. All the variables that are floating around as to the whys aren't going to help you in those moments. So we've got to stop asking why. And then secondly, we've got to start asking what. Stop asking why and start asking what. Verse 13 as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Listen to that attitude. Listen to that perspective. I'm locked in prison. I could play the woe is me card, but instead... 
I can picture Paul in this dungeon saying, okay, you want to lock me up? Hey, let me tell you what I came to tell them. Okay, you're kind of stuck with me. So welcome to the gospel show. Okay, and everyone throughout the palace guard heard the message that Paul had to speak because he had a captive audience. They couldn't really go anywhere. He saw an opportunity to take a negative situation and see purpose in it. To use a platform of suffering for his greatest potential. And I think the same is true for us. That sometimes in our greatest moments of suffering, that suffering can become the greatest platform for us to fulfill God's purposes in our life. Think about how moved you are when you hear or see or know someone that's going through a situation that you can't imagine having to bear. And you hear them make statements like, you know, I'm trusting in God and God's got a purpose in this and he's teaching me something through it. And you see them standing for the gospel through the midst of situations that you can't even imagine going through. Do you know how inspiring that is to use your platform of suffering as a, as a message for the potential that God's put inside of you? See, we, we don't want to suffer. And so many times we have this American Christianity mentality that says we never should suffer. And it's almost as if we expect God, you know, to tend to our every needs and desires. And uh, you might not like this, but I got news for you. That's, that's not really extremely scriptural. In fact, in John 16, 30, 33, Jesus himself says, in this world you will have trouble. He goes on to say, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So in the world we have trouble, but we know that we have an overcomer within us. So we have hope we can have joy in the midst of the suffering. Let me kind of fast forward to the end of this letter, of this chapter, uh, verses 27 through 30, where Paul, he goes on to say, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, whatever circumstance, whatever situation, whatever tragedy, whatever suffering, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whenever I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved, and that by God. So in the midst of your suffering, you have hope. And it doesn't matter if someone is creating the suffering for you, they will know that you have hope if you stand firm in the joy that God's given you. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. That's been granted to you. Not only to be able to believe on Christ, but also to suffer for him. In other words, it's a privilege to suffer for the gospel of Jesus. And when you suffer for the gospel of Jesus, you can stand in the joy that God's given you. Verse 30, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. There may be things that we don't have in common, but one thing we have in common is that we will suffer. And when you suffer, or while you are suffering, you can have joy, and Paul wants you to have joy, and it starts with, stop, it stops, it starts with us stopping to ask the question, why, and start to ask the question, what? 
What does God want to accomplish through this situation in my life? In my life, What does God want to teach me through these circumstances? What does God want to do inside of me? What does God want to use me in these circumstances uh, for the good of others? And we figure out the what instead of the why, and then we gain traction with the joy that God's given us. And then thirdly, after we stop asking why and we start asking what, it's important for us to focus on what really matters. Focus on what really matters. Verse 15, we get to one of the issues of concern that Paul has for this church. He says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. So there are obviously other churches that have begun in this area, and some are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry, and some are preaching out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. In other words, they're not really for me. They're not helping the cause. They're not supporting me as you are. They're preaching Christ with the wrong motives. Listen to what he says here. But what does it matter? So what? What's the big deal? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I find joy that no matter what the motivation of the hearts are, Christ is being preached through the midst of this suffering and trial. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I imagine that if you received word tomorrow that your life had a short time span left, let's say you were told that you had two weeks left to live, I would imagine, I know for me, that there are some things in our lives that seem extremely important that in light of that news would become completely unimportant altogether. And we would refocus our energy and our efforts on things that are most important in our life because we would then realize and grasp the gravity of life and how limited it is. And we would somehow see how some things are not as important as others. And in your suffering and in your situations, as, as horrible as they may be, as difficult and painful as they may be, the most important thing is something that's internal, not temporary. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we ask ourselves, what is God wanting to do in me and through me in this situation? And we stop making things that aren't most important the things most important in our hearts. So what? So what? So I'm in prison, so that I'm locked up, so I can't do what I think I'm supposed to be doing. I'm going to make the most of this situation I'm in right now. In fact, listen to where he takes this, verse number 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die 
is gain. That's a pretty bold statement. Because truth be told, more than likely, Paul would have at least had a hint that his life may be on the line. The Romans were famous for crucifying people, and they were almost artists in execution. And in this prison in Rome, I'm sure that he knew there was a possibility that his life would end. And in the situation, he doesn't say, I'm scared out of my mind, and I don't know what I'm going to do. He realized that it wasn't about him, it was about Christ. And he says, you know what, for me to live, that's Christ. I'll keep doing what he's called me to do, but if I die, man, that's gain. It's better than where I'm at. He says, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. I'm with you. There's times that I'm just like, man, just take me home. This world is just wearing me down. I would love to be in the presence of Jesus. Which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Again, it's not about me. How can I add value to you? Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. You think you got it bad? I got it bad. And I'm telling you, if there's a joy that you can have in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your circumstances, that will transform your approach to life, that will give you such hope and allow you to allow God to do something in you and through you in the midst of any suffering that you can go through. A man named Horatio Stafford wrote a song. It's a song that's dear to the church even to today. He lived in the mid to late 1800s and he's famous, we know him now, for writing a song called It Is Well. And it's a song that, that we've sung versions of here in our church. It's an incredible song that's lasted through the years. But if you hear the story behind the song being written, you'll have greater respect for the song. And I want to share part of that story with you now. See, Horatio and his family lived in the Chicago area. And in 1870, he lost his only son to the scarlet fever. And as if losing his only son wasn't enough, in 1871, history tells us of the great fires in Chicago. And the great Chicago fire essentially ruined him financially because he was a lawyer by trade and he had invested lots of income into real estate, most of which was lost in the fires. So in 1870, he loses his son. In 1871, He faces financial ruin, and over the next couple of years, through 1873, he was further ruined by an economic downturn as a result of the fires. And so here's a man who had lost his son and basically lost almost everything that he had. He and his wife and his four daughters decided to travel to Europe, and so they went to board a ship to go sail across the Atlantic to Europe when He was at the last minute presented with a business opportunity and since he was in such bad shape financially, he decided to allow his wife and daughters to go ahead and he would stay behind and tend to business. And as the story is told, 
As his wife and daughters are in the middle of the Atlantic, they come in contact and strike with another ship, and the ship sinks, and all four of his daughters die at sea. His wife somehow manages to be saved and rescued, and she's taken on another vessel to Europe, and she sends a telegram to Horatio with two famous words where she said, Saved alone. Lost his son, lost his finances, lost all four of his daughters. And so he gets on a ship to sail to Europe to be with his grieving wife. And when he gets near the area where supposedly his daughters were buried at sea, he looks over the bow of the ship and he begins to pen these words. He says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when the good times come, and when sorrows like sea billows roll, out in the midst of this chaotic sea that has just taken his four daughters. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. I don't know what you're facing or what you're going through or what you're going to go through, but I know that you can experience a joy like Paul in the midst of any suffering that this world has to offer, and you can allow God to do something in you and through you that can fulfill a purpose that he has for you. And your greatest suffering can become God's greatest platform to show his grace and mercy to a hopeless world. And I just wanted to encourage you today to take joy in who Christ is and what he's done for you. See, knowing Christ It's a win-win situation. His blessings are tremendous. But even in the midst of suffering, he he gives us purpose in the midst of pain. And he allows us to know a joy that's unknowable outside of him. If you're here this morning and and you're in the midst of suffering, you're in the midst of pain, and you don't feel a lot of joy because you're thinking of joy as happiness, and rightfully so, you shouldn't be too happy in the midst of your situation or circumstance. I want to pray for us this morning that you would begin to experience a joy that doesn't come by chance, but comes by choice. I encourage you to choose to place your faith in Jesus Christ and allow him to see you through. Let me pray for you. Father, Your joy is indescribable. It's unfathomable. How a man like Paul, in the midst of all the sufferings that he faced, was able to encourage others to rejoice in you. It blows my mind, but I want that type of joy in my life, and I pray that we as a church would experience that type of joy. I pray for everyone right now that's going through a difficult situation or circumstance, for everyone right now that's facing uh, painful suffering, who's um, dealing with certain issues in these season, this season of their life. Would you help them to choose to have joy, to see beyond the wise, to find the what's, and to focus on what's most important right now in their life? And as they do that, Lord, would you just grant them the ability to use their suffering, use their pain as a platform for the gospel of Jesus to advance the hope that's found in Jesus Christ when there's hope nowhere else in the world. And I pray that your joy would be made complete 
in all of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.